Okay, so we've done the opening prayer, we've done the land acknowledgement, we've introduced ourselves, and we really just want to get into the calls to action that we're here for today. Uh, the summary notes that you normally see are, they're quite small, really, in, in relation to the conversation, but uh, this particular section of the calls to action, I didn't ever anticipate being of importance to me. And boy, was I wrong. When the Calgary Olympic bid was happening for 2026, uh, I, I thought, well, you know, all the progressives really wanted me to get behind that. And I was like, well, I don't know, because I, I do want to see the, um, you know, public um, facilities that we already had existing for all of the Olympians to obviously be maintained because it's easier to maintain it and cheaper like cost effective if you care about taxes uh you know to to maintain it and and improve it and then continue to have our our youth you know focus on that dream of being an olympian so much to my surprise when i opened up the uh trc i came across a lot more than what i had bargained for when it came to the sports calls to action and i'm really grateful for that i actually learned about my uncle and for those uh, folks who, who may not have all of the TRC, I hope you can see this. This is um, the TRC volume one, part two. So there's part one and a part two. This history is from 1939 to 2000. And I actually, you can just Google it and get the link and I'll try to get that for you. But anyway, this PDF is free. It's open to everybody. So I opened it up to chapter 43, because I thought it was really important for folks to see all of this. So, um, you know, I've been really privileged to be able to go through all of this. And this is where I learned a lot more about um, different dynamics of the school system. And I did learn some people actually did learn how to play some sports from it, which I was really shocked about. I was like, oh, so because I, as far as I knew, all of these prisons were awful and they are, but this this one particular story of my uncle is like the real life Indian horse. So, um, and I would have never found it if it wasn't for this component of the TRC. And um, in my copy, I actually have pictures. So I, I brought this up in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, there would be pictures in here. Um, I just didn't have a chance to look through it all, but I wanted to bring this one to your attention because if you didn't get a chance to read this, um then i encourage you folks to be able to and i'll put the link together so that everybody has access to it but if you were to google it you'd find it right away so um and that way you can read this part and it gives very extensive detail especially of alberta quipel um blue quills some some really interesting stuff about not just sports, Hobima, um, the Wetasco and Eskimos. I can't think of anything more disgusting and butchered than that. But hey, back in 1952, it was totally fine. So, you know, oh, and boxing, it really expanded the sports calls to action. Here we go. It does have some of the pictures that are in my book as well. So they actually showed some of the conditions um, that, that these youth had. Now, I know most pictures are propaganda. So Obviously, I don't uh, condone propaganda pictures, which these probably are in a lot of respects. But if you were to read those TRC calls to action, you can read some of the quotes from folks in there. 
Well, this is literally like real life Indian horse. So I thought it was really important for us to kind of highlight some of this. And then, you know, going beyond just hockey, but the um, boxing and then some girls got to play uh, soccer, baseball. And I would be really curious for folks in Treaty 7, like these might be somebody's grandmas and aunties. So I, I want to show these pictures with that deep respect because I know for me, um, you know, looking through some of these photos and always wondering if that was my granny, if it's uh, from Fort Providence and, uh, and skiers, who would have thought, you know, because um, my, my family went to uh, uh, Northwest Territories as well. So some of these pictures could be very um, triggering for a lot of folks to be like, oh, that's the only picture of my grandmother. <laughs> And, and again, actually, if let's take it another step further. And apparently for the first time, this is brand new news to everybody that there are missing children and unmarked burial sites. Obviously not my book club because we've talked about this section before and we set up a Facebook group and, and such. But anyway, um, there very well could be some of these children in those unmarked graves. So just to have that gravity as we look through some of these photos um to know that these are somebody's loved ones and they were forced to you know do these things because it was the law so i just wanted to go because of course you're not going to find this in the summary like guitar because it it talks a lot about just not just sports but arts and sea cadets so i, I was a sea cadet so you know, this gives a lot more gravity to the foundation of Girl Guides and Boy Scouts and why it is that they they encourage those types of things, that control, colonial control. So here we are, uh, the cadets in Cardston. I mean, I'm so I'm in Lethbridge right now. So this is just really down the road. And uh, when I was in Sea Cadets, we actually had wooden rifles that we practiced with too. So. Abbotsford, DC. I don't know if any of you know, but um, there was a Japanese concentration camp just outside of uh, Banff. And then they converted it into an army cadet um, cabins. And now they've eliminated them all together. So a lot of these things, if you don't, like if you're not from here, you might not know these things. And thankfully the TRC really details a lot of this bigger picture of like clubs, arts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, but look at all the allegiance to the British flag. That's expected. So, and then it goes obviously into far more. And the TRC at the time uh, used a lot of terminology more related to Aboriginal as opposed to Indigenous, but you'll hear me say Indigenous more so. Um, yeah, and it actually went into a lot of girls playing which shocked me because colonial, um, you know, politics is really excluding women for the most part. And of course, having some drama, which was nice to read, music, arts, dance, so that all of this was actually encompassed. And, you know, um, right now, because we're talking about the um, 251 graves that were found in Canloops, you know, you get to read intimately what it was like to be there at that at this time anyway. Um, and as each one, each school gets uncovered with their 
missing children and unmarked grave sites, you can read about some of components of what it was like to live there in these extended versions of uh, the TRC. So um, it was really great here reading um, about Alex Javier. Uh, I, I know I'm saying that wrong because he's world renowned, internationally known artist. And, you know, when he came to the city, he was constantly preyed upon about the police. But you also get to read this part of him. So, you know, you get to read what it was like as a child being in blue quills, hearing afterwards, there's a longer story of him trying to access um, post-secondary education. So, you know, all of the barriers that it took for him to be able to do what he does today. Um, it's really incredible. So lots of uh, information here that I really encourage people to kind of dissect a little more. Um, yeah, it's just so hard to read um, you know, helping Eskimo and Indian girls. Oh, I highly recommend if you're not Indigenous, don't say the term Eskimo or Indian. I say it all the time because um, I think it's really important to amplify that racism that was was there. Um, yeah, and as a, it was interesting because I've been dissecting oh, the Oka crisis. And at the time the Oka crisis started 31 years ago, I was taking two-week general training with sea cadets. And this was before human rights was introduced in 92. So it was a different time. It was like the screaming of Forrest Gump in time I went when I was like 13. So, um, and I, I know if they were treating us like that then and, and predominantly, you know, white kids, I can't imagine how they must have treated the indigenous youth in Cardston at that time. So yeah, I just wanted to point out some of this because obviously there were some pictures that I have privy to in my book that you may not. And to be honest, even if we were together in person, um, you know, obviously all of us going through the same book is not all that helpful. And uh, a lot of the libraries don't actually let you check out the entire volumes of the TRC. So staff experience. Okay, so that was kind of as far as I wanted to go there. Um, so I, I'll open it up. Actually, I'm going to stop this share for now. Um, and we can reference back to it, folks, as we go. Um, oh, what do we have? We have lots of stuff going on here, direct messages here. Sorry, folks, we'll just kind of put this on pause for a minute. Shelf Life Books has the calls to action books if you want to support local. Um, and if it's for a book club, you get 10% off. And I think Italian too. Okay, um, Jeremy has sent me some links. You can send those to everybody. That would be helpful to us, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. meant to be public. There we go. <laughs> okay, we got it. Perfect. Sorry okay, so then that way everybody has the link to that as well. Um, so that you can read through that as well. And um, yeah, so I guess we'll start with uh, Danielle and then uh, Susan, do you want to talk about um, your reflections of the sports calls to action? If you got a chance to read it, if not, feel free to pass. Um, I also saw that James just joined us. Hi, James. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I did read the calls to action. Um, when I read it, I thought, oh, okay, this is providing opportunity and maybe a chance to level some grounds and 
growth and it's interesting that it's sports related. I'm not really a sportsy person, um, but I appreciated that. But now I appreciate it more because of the background that you've provided and the, the link to the book. I plan on picking that up and reading that during my lunch break and just um, delving more into it because it's one thing to read the calls to action, but read it in ignorance and just not really fully understand the need for each one of those points. And I really appreciate the background. So thank you for that. I don't have much more to add, I apologize. No, that's great. I appreciate you chiming in. Susan, um, maybe now would be a good time too. I'll try to bring up your article and uh, we can talk about, or I'll let you talk about that as, uh, as I bring that up. Well, actually, I wanted to talk about my experience as a Métis, an Indigenous person living in the inner city of Regina. And uh, in the inner city of Regina, I was on I was uh, working for the core community association, which was around the general hospital. I don't know who knows Regina, but it's an, it was an area where there was a number of uh, lovely heritage homes, but also there was a, um, a number of indigenous people that also lived in the area as well. And I remember one of the struggles that I had with the community in advocating to the municipal government was we had a little outdoor rink and I'm of an age where we had outdoor rinks where you had a little shed or a bench and that's where you tied on your skates and you had a little stove that you keep you warm and you had boards around the ice and that was set up in a schoolyard in the winter in this inner city community in Regina and I remember very vividly talking to the city council about them withdrawing funding from our little rink and their whole perception, no indigenous people were decision makers, were politicians. Their whole thing was, oh, hockey is too expensive, but they weren't talking about what we were talking about is giving inner city children, including the indigenous and non-indigenous children, access to sports and activities. And they could just see it, oh, well, you know, we need these big arenas. A lot of children cannot afford these sports. So that's what it brings up for me, that whole idea of sports and reconciliation and how important sports is for our not only physical well-being but our whole emotional psychological well-being and how the struggle so this is the 70s that i'm talking about and how the struggle does still continue and uh, so i just wanted to share that and then i had sent some material to michelle of what i had found of i'll share that right for, right now then and um and again I really appreciate you sharing what it was like in the 70s trying to get access to, of course, anything, um, but also that bigger picture that, you know, um, there, <laughs> it's 2021 and uh, we had a really great hockey player that was, you know, going to go on and, and do wonderful things and right in Strathmore, some two brothers thought it was acceptable to go and, and kill him. Um, so you know, it, it's 2021 and, you know, it, today 
is the day after some huge uh, football match or soccer in Canada. And uh, the black uh, players for England, of course, are being targeted with racism. So it, it's just so interesting to be talking about, you know, the 70s were bad. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I just absolutely agree that it hasn't got much better. And when I, when I read these conversations about racism, I always wonder, well, you know, we're, we're not implementing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. And they have very specific uh, calls to action on sports. And if we as a country cared about racism, then why aren't we doing something about it? And it's bigger than just the soccer match, the global soccer match. It's, um, it's here with our goalies where we just had the Stanley Cup run. And, uh, you know, the, I want to say it was Ethan Bear. Um, you know, there, there was a, another fellow, I can't quite remember his name offhand, but you know, really getting targeted with racism as natives in a different way than you would other goalies, right? So, um, so actually Susan and I were uh, chit-chatting a bit in Messenger and she had sent me three, three great articles. Uh, this is the most recent one that she sent five years after Truth and Reconciliation. Indigenous athletes say sports programs have not done enough. I would argue, have they done anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of that point, um, Yellowhead Institute, I would say, probably has the best uh, resources on where we are with Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action implementation. So I always refer to those. Of course, the government has theirs where they look far better. And the CBC, which is government funded, conveniently kind of perpetuates those talk talking points, I find. So um, I just thought this was really important because um, this particular Olympian, I read this yesterday. Yesterday was the 31st anniversary of the invasion of Ganawage and uh, what settlers have always called the Oka crisis. And, you know, the, this is like one of the people that were literally stabbed by the Canadian military and still went off to become an Olympian to represent Canada. And uh, here she is talking about it, <laughs> you know, like, here we, we still aren't doing funding for community-based and professional sports initiatives, education on the history of Indigenous athletes, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to do a quick plug here for my uncle who passed away because of COVID. Um, my auntie told me that she thought for sure he would beat COVID because um, he was chopping wood two days before he got it. So, uh, but thankfully he had put together um, a book and it's called Call Me Indian. It was just recently released by Fred Sasakamus and he's actually in the TRC um, as one of the elders talking about what it was like to play hockey in, in the time and be in an Indian residential school. So um, it says from trauma of residential schools to becoming NHL's first treaty indigenous player and it says, torn from his home at the age of seven, endures the horrors of residential school prisons. I'm just going to start saying school prisons every time. Um, for a decade before coming one of 120 players in the most elite hockey league in the world, he has been heralded as the first Indigenous player with treaty status in the NHL, making his official debut in 1954 as a Chicago Blackhawk 
playing player on Hockey Night in Canada and teaching Foster Kuit how to pronounce his name. Uh, Sasaka Moose played against such legends as Gordie Howe, uh, Jean Bellevue, sorry, and Maurice Richard. After 12 games, he went home. When people tell Sasaka Moose's story, um, that's usually where it ends. And they say he left the NHL to return to the family and culture that the Canadian government had ripped from him. That returning to his family home and most important to him, his NHL career. But that was much more to, uh, to his decision than that. Understanding Sasakamusa's choice means acknowledging the dislocation and treatment of generations of Indigenous people. It means considering how a young man who spent his childhood as a ward of the government, you would hear those supposedly golden words, your, your Blackhawks property, your Blackhawks property. You can imagine um, a lot of people may not understand what we're talking about. So I'll just say this, um, right now, uh, you know, instead of learning about smudging and sealing our sage, settlers could really do us a favor by letting um, colonists know that when you say our indigenous people, you are absolutely insulting us. Um, I'm a ward of the state under the Canadian government. So when I have a Canadian official and elected one say our indigenous people, I pretty much want to punch them in the face and take out their knees because it's like that perpetuating, I am still a ward of the state. And as an elected official, he has ownership over me or they have ownership over me. So that uh, conversation, your block, Blackhawks property is kind of an extension of that conversation by people who never knew what uh, Indian residential school prisons were, the Indian Act, and what it's like to actually be a ward of the state. So I just want to give some context there. Uh, Sasakamusa's story uh, was far from over once his NHL days concluded. He continued to play for another decade in leagues around Western Canada. He became a bound counselor, served as chief, and established athletic programs for kids. He paved a way for youth to find solace in meeting and sports for generations to come. Yet threaded through these impressive accomplishments were periods of heartbreak, unimaginable tragedy, as well as moments of passion and great joy. This isn't just a hockey story. Sasakamusa's groundbreaking memoir sheds piercing light on Canadians' history and Indigenous politics and follows this extraordinary man's journey to reclaim pride in his identity and a heritage that was previously used against him. Um, and his son actually um, runs uh, some Thunderstick hockey tournament. And we were friends for five minutes and I was trying to get him to take over a Twitter account for his dad, but you know, it, he has a lot going on. <laughs> so it's really hard. But if you are interested in learning the real life Indian horse story, um, call me Indian by Fred Sasakamus. So, and it's relevant because my uncle had testified in a lot of the TRC he's quoted. If you were to Google him, you'd find out more. So that's why I, I add that to the voices that you're reading in this five years after TRC to kind of mention um, you know, and, and I just want to encourage Danielle and um, Susan to unmute and because I can't unmute everybody. So you can just chime in. And, uh, you know, there's this 40 minute video uh, of, of folks talking about this if we wanted to, but I know there's a smaller one here and uh, it's only five minutes. So we can play it if you wanted to. 
uh, but I, I'll kind of get the thumbs up from everybody when I can all see you all. And I just wanted to quickly go over the other um, articles that, that she sent as well. Uh, so, uh, how do I get this to work? Ah, I think I have to stop this. So anyway, it's a link on Facebook to Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, it's about um, the story of Tom Longhorn Award. And you know, I just really encourage folks to learn more about him as well, because it's really important that we, we actually talk about who are, you know, Indigenous athletes were. And then lastly, um, same um, group of people, the Canada Sports Hall of Fame, and here they are just posting a little bit about um, Alex, and I can't say this French name, that's probably some French past or, um, you know, Indian residential school priest that forced his name onto everybody. But what matters is not only was he an Indigenous athlete, but he also had a military career. And I think a lot of Canadians have a lot of pride in our military vets, especially ones that survived uh, Passchendaele. So, um, you know, really important person for the so-called history of Canada. But that bigger picture is that, you know, here it is July 9th and July 7th. <laughs> We're only getting a little bit of recognition from the Canada Sports Hall of Fame here on some pretty substantial people. If I say Wayne Gretzky, there's a ton of emotion behind all of that. I want to see folks have that emotion when talk, talking about Tom Longhorn, Longboat, sorry. So I'm just going to stop the screen share and um, maybe just invite uh, Danielle and uh, Susan to talk about those um, articles at all, if there was something you learned or something you wanted to highlight from them. No, and Susan? I, I just wanted to, to mention, uh, if people aren't aware, that the Alex Dicote, who was a, in the military, that under the Indian Act, when somebody who was status Indian became part of the military, they became enfranchised and lost their status under the Indian Act and no longer were considered quote unquote Indian. So this is even more remarkable that we should be celebrating our veterans and their contributions, not only militarily, but also now through sports. So I just wanted to mention that. I'm really glad you did, Susan. Uh, we should probably also mention that um, on November 11th, when all of Canadian military are honored, actually Indigenous were excluded for forever and only recently have now an Aboriginal Veterans Day that is, I think, two days before uh, the 8th, so I guess three days before. And uh, there's a monument um, in Ottawa. I was lucky enough to go see it, actually. It's right across from the Lord Elgin um, Hotel and uh, it's beautiful. And I wish that um, in, like folk, non non-Indigenous folks and even Indigenous folks who may not know understood how excluded Indigenous people were as veterans and the, that unfortunately that's the importance of, of being able to have that. Um, I was recently at Batash, when I say recently, probably within the last what five years of my life and um, 
they unveiled the war memorial that they had for the Métis that had served for the wars because up to then, um, you know, they weren't properly recognized. And the best part about the Tosh was having uh, this beautiful um, war memorial. It literally took them forever to fundraise to finally get it up. And that is one of those things that of all the things that the Canadian government funds, why one you know, group had to work so hard to get a war memorial put up to honor the names of their people. It was it's such an insult and slap in the face, that component of it, but a, a beautiful monument. Really encourage everybody to go uh, witness it and see it. Um, I actually cried because I got to see some of my Métis friends um, you know, really look for their relatives listed. And then when they seen them, they start to cry. So it, it, it is important to be properly recognized. And uh, recently, Adrian Wolflake had done a presentation through the Friendship Center and he, it, it was called uh, Calling Your Spirit Back. And I don't know how he said this in like an hour, but he talked about this incredible journey a lot of Indigenous people took to uh, the beaches in France uh, and and to honor the veterans that were there and they went into this beautiful war memorial and they found you know the first some of the names from uh, blackfoot territory that were there it was really um, like so powerful to watch i actually cried so much i hurt my eye for like two days it was sore so <laughs> it was just really emotional so anyway if i had a million dollars i absolutely would try to do a series of podcasts or a series of like tv shows to highlight that incredible journey because i've been lucky enough to hear adrian talk about um ceremonies they had done there and uh, brought some of the sand back and distributed to the friendship centers to proper to deal with it the way they felt was best across the country and the ceremony of calling the spirits back to canada and dropping them off along the way as they went it was just incredible to hear him tell the story and it, this is completely relevant to the sports calls to action because um if you were to read more into that that's this is the foundation of you know girl guides boy scouts cadets um all of these programs that were literally designed to get you know folks to serve for the canadian military or have that interest in it right so um really important stuff uh to bring up and i so appreciate having this dialogue with you susan um, with that, I'm going to open it up to some of our settlers and, and um, ask you a little bit about uh, your reflections on the calls to action or maybe some of the other things that we talked about. And we'll just go down this participant list if I can make my computer work. Um, we'll just start at the top. And I can't seem to get this to work. I don't know what's going on. Okay. Um, participants, see if it'll let me do it. Kind of glitchy. Here we go. So, um, Kat, we'll start with Kat, Crystal, Danielle, Jax, James, Jeremy, go from there. Um, I just wanted to say um, how easy these calls of action would be to, to achieve. I mean, it's not like, yeah, it's just, it would be so easy for the government and for sports organizations to um, fix things. Wouldn't it though, Crystal? <laughs> that was short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not feeling well, so yeah, I'm no, no, it was it was succinct. 
Um, well, I was thinking a couple of years ago, the Guyana basketball, youth basketball team um, had issues with, uh, they were banned from a tournament and, uh, and then uh, it was, they weren't banned, but then no refs were willing to ref their tournament. And this whole thing came out like it was just sheer racism against them. And like it, it really got called out. And uh, I remember going to support their team and those kids were like fantastic athletes, like incredible. And to see that happen to them and for these kids to be told like they're banned, like I just, it's, it's uh, intolerable, like that that should not happen to children. Um, and adults need to be responsible for that too. Like, yeah. So anyway, that's what came to mind when I was reading this. And then that little excerpt in one of the excerpts was showing like all this was achieved through constant racism. And that's what kind of connected for me. Like these kids are so talented they're excellent athletes and they're achieving all this through all this garbage that we need to stop happening. Yeah. Great, great points, Crystal, thank you. Uh, Danielle, I guess if you wanna chime in, you're welcome to, and if not, Jax. I just appreciated what you pointed out there, just that the kids are made so, aware of their their race and it's just really sad you sometimes or you just feel the need to hide who you are instead of embrace it and um it's just a sad point so that's all i really had to add <laughs> hey i i i don't have anything to add or say just that I completely agree with everything and I have a lot of educating of myself to do. So thank you. I'm grateful. All right, who's next? I'm just having a look about um, some of the questions in the chat here about extra stuff. So I was just going to look up the Yellowhead Institution or Institute and give that link for that as well. Um, but after uh, we hear from our next person, which would be James. Hello. Uh, sorry, I was late there. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of great stuff, uh, but uh, very appreciative uh, for what uh, everybody's been sharing so far uh, from what I've heard. Um, with these uh, calls to action, I, I see a lot of uh, calls on government and, and, and rightly so, but there, I think there are a lot of misstep opportunities in professional sports that have the, uh, the platform that governments don't. So uh, NHL is one. So with Ethan Bear, I mean, he's a he's a great ambassador for the league. Uh, not just uh, you know, it, it's not just to normalize that Indigenous people play this these sports and have been forever. It's to celebrate um, also that um, you know he's from the area. Uh, these these are people. Uh, this is a player who uh, grew up in the area, played hockey in the area. He, he's a local kid. And, um, you know, it's a great opportunity to uh, celebrate somebody like that. And, and lacrosse drives me crazy because, I mean, it's literally a sport uh, that was invented by uh, 
uh, the Mohawk out, out east and uh, the National Lacrosse League, uh, you know, lives off of this. You're starting to see a little bit more with uh, Indigenous ownership out in Halifax, uh, but here in Calgary, uh, with uh, all the communities that we have around here, it's a huge missed opportunity. They, it's barely even mentioned and it drives me crazy, uh, especially when you have um, great players in the league like the Thompson brothers and stuff like that. So um, I'd love to see professional sports leagues, you know, normalize and celebrate uh, uh, the Indigenous roots and, and uh, communities that, are, uh, that they play on. So, Boy, I agree, James. Um, I think we see, especially in Calgary with the city council, um, how polarized even city council is over an arena, over the conversation with the Flames. Um, I felt like when I ran four years ago, that was the big conversation. And I feel like we're still talking about it uh, four years later. So there's so much politics when it comes to it. And yet here's such a great opportunity regularly miss not doing land acknowledgements, um, not including the Indigenous youth. Um, you know, it, it's been wonderful to see the Edmonton Oilers try to do some more inclusion, like I've seen Fred Sassakamers, you know, drop the puck and, and be honoured by the Oilers. And uh, that hurts my heart as a Calgary Flames fan. You know, I really, <laughs> really, really don't. Why does it always have to be Edmonton Oilers and all these Cree? Always excited and happy. Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, uh, Jeremy, I'd encourage you to also talk a little bit about the volume six as well, and I'll bring it up while you're talking. Sure. Uh, thank you for the space to talk. I appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, this was, I guess, one of the weeks that I was better prepared, and I had a chance to read the uh, relevant section, I think, in uh, volume six. I had not gone back to the history in uh, part two of volume one. Uh, so I'm grateful that you started there. And then, of course, I, I took a look at the Yellowhead report as well. Um, to start with, I guess I, um, you know, I resonated with your comment about, you know, sports in general, maybe being something I didn't care that much about. But as I, as I read, I realized um, that I was, you know, wrong to dismiss it. Uh, and what, one thing that really struck me in volume six was um, this description from survivors that uh, sports at the schools or the prisons uh, where they were incarcerated really, um, was something that kept them alive. Uh, and, you know, there's several quotes in there um, that are powerful. Um, and I don't think I can even read, um, but I'd encourage people to, I guess. And um, I, there's, yeah, it's just stories, so much stuff that I didn't know about um, that's alluded to. Um, especially in relation to the Olympics. Um, yeah, and then, you know, each individual call to action, um, educating Canadians about the national story of indig Indigenous athletes, that should be a no-brainer. Um, 
like uh, James mentioned about lacrosse, I don't know why it's kept from people. Uh, you know, I've never watched any of the uh, Indigenous games, and I'm sure that would be way more interesting than a game of baseball or something to me. Um, it was sad to see that uh, the government kind of faked number 88, uh, the funding for Indigenous athletes, um, and eventually sort of walked it back, but not really, um, ending up with uh, something that's still privileged non-Indigenous organizations. Um, yeah, I, I, there was a lot. Um, I, I guess, you know, there was one place where I, I almost, I don't know if I should even get into this, but I almost respectfully took issue with uh, the way the TRC dealt with number 91, uh, especially about the Vancouver Olympics. Um, and it all sounded fairly positive in that section. Um, but I think that, you know, with BC being primarily unseated land, uh, as well as most of the country, um, and at least seven First Nations who had claims on the land where the uh, 2010 Olympics took place and were not included in any way, um, all of that was, you know, not part of the story, uh, this uh, imagined Canada, uh, to kind of echo Crystal's um, comment from earlier, uh, that we um, try to show to the world and pretend to be. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing was appreciating how uh, sports is actually uh, can be very healing um, and was uh, so important to survivors of the schools. Now, I'm really glad you brought up, especially the Vancouver component, Jeremy, because I've heard, you know, the indigenous of that area completely blast their approach of what happened. And, you know, the 2010 Winter Olympics obviously came out five years before the TRC did. Uh, the final report, right? So obviously they couldn't have possibly encapsulated what they should have anyway. And um, and I think it's really problematic when we, you know, have situations where it's like, no, we paid one Indigenous person to be on our board. So therefore we did community outreach and that nation to nation understanding is still not really fully realized, let alone having decision-making of those treaty partners at the table. Like we, we still don't see the city of Calgary meeting with Treaty 7 chiefs and then making decisions based off of a roundtable of what they all have to say together and seeing the voice of the Treaty 7 chiefs equally. So, you know, going back to the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, not seeing the Treaty chiefs of that area and, and community outreach talk about what, what do you want the Olympics to look like? I mean, what a, what a conversation that we need to have is that as Canada, we ever want to host uh, the Olympics again, we should start that outreach right now um, and ask all the nations across the country, over 630 nations, 
if we were to have Olympics, what would that look like to you? And what would honoring the TRC look like to you with these sports calls to action? I mean, geez, we haven't even done the unmarked um, burial sites and missing children. And even though they are listed in the TRC, we have a whole volume devoted to it. So, you know, um, obviously sports is not um, Canada's biggest, uh, I don't, what they're thinking of because if you and I are both sitting here and are like sports calls to action who cares about this one but then you know I start unraveling it's like literally my family is involved in this and I was so like I don't care um you know really problematic and then just to kind of amplify what you're saying um I, I just want to read this this one little paragraph from and this is uh in volume six on page 200 Aboriginal youth today face many barriers that lead leading active, healthy lives in their communities. They lack opportunities to pursue excellence in sports. There's little access to culturally relevant traditional sports activities that strengthen our Aboriginal identity and instill a sense of pride and self-confidence. Um, I just I wanted to highlight that because um, my daughter met a Dene elder here in well in, in Calgary his name is uh, Peter Daniels and he um, was teaching the kids hand games and Sam with her big Dene fingers is just doing fabulous at it and he was saying he'd like to create like an urban team and go to schools and schools and talk about and teach the kids all kids settler kids and non-indigenous kids about the hand games that our youth used to have but then of course the pandemic happened and I don't think that was ever fully realized. But I think that, you know, we, we talk a lot about settler sports and there's a whole international um, indigenous peoples uh, sports, like, like the equivalent of the Olympics, but we do our sports. And I'd really like to see some understanding about the gravity of that and have this uh, come together in a better way. Um, anyway, I just wanted to finish that one um, one part because uh, a lack of resources, sports facilities, and equipment limits their ability to play sports. Racism remains an issue. Aboriginal girls face the extra barrier of gender discrimination. And, you know, this was written in 2015, prior to us really talking about what two-spirit means, so I would obviously argue um, and actually one of the most impactful sessions I ever attended of Calgary Pride that they put together at a seminar was uh, the discrimination of homophobia in sports as well. So, you know, it's not mentioned here in the TRC, but I think, you know, if we're going to talk about Aboriginal girls facing that extra barrier of, of gender discrimination, that we should also include the two spirit um, as meaningfully as we can. Um, but yeah, this I'm really glad that you pointed this part out as well, because they are uh, very different. Um, you know, this one talks about inspiring lives and healthy communities. And, you know, one of my goals is always not just to see reconciliation, but to see Indigenous people thriving. And today we still live under systemic poverty under the Indian Act. So it's pretty hard to have this extra funding for programs when one they're not culturally relevant nine times out of ten although i will say Satu Dene invented hockey so just being a jerk who's next on our list marnie 
I like it when you're a jerk because I usually learn something, so it's okay. <laughs> um, can you all hear me? Okay. Uh, so I am reading the TRC calls to action for the first time, way overdue. And the thing that I keep confronting is why the haven't they all happened? That's the thing. I just can't. I so I have a big long list to write my MP about. So why is why is there's no movement on this one? And actually, I've looked for where to find updates. And I looked at the TRC website, and it just didn't feel right. So maybe that's because it's government speak. So I appreciate the Yellowhead reference. Thank you. Yeah, I think they're one of the best um, Indigenous-led organizations in the country that are trying to be honest about the reality of our status. Um, with the deepest respect to CBC Indigenous, they have um, a group called uh, Beyond 94. But I mean, ultimately, it still is government funded. And ultimately, the editors aren't all Indigenous. And, you know, that that is not a reflection of their reporting. It's a reflection of, like, systemic oppression. Um, you know, and I see it in city council all the time where they're like, oh, we talked to our, you know, three Indigenous people we know, and they okayed it. And it's like, that's not nation to nation. That's not community involvement. Like, let, let me unpack how awful all of this is. So, um, no, I appreciate you saying that, Marnie. And, uh, you know, I get frustrated with people of not knowing, but the bottom line is you're trying and you're putting your effort towards it now. And I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because, you know, I, I can't honor my family's legacy if we don't do this. Um, I, I think that as a country, it's not, it isn't just government. Um, but if you do look at the government problem that we see, they're still playing stupid partisan politics over this issue. And it's unbelievable to me. Every single conservative MP voted against the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous People, and that's the foundation to TRC. Um, and the other component of this is that if Canadians are unaware, they continue voting for these yahoos that have no concept about it. But then the bigger picture is, is that they also don't see themselves reflected in doing this. So like if you're a coach and you have the ability to do a land acknowledgement, why the heck wouldn't you? You know, you, I, I mean, I, it, it's like some teachers are amazing and some coaches are amazing and some do the extra step, but I'd like to see it as a bigger part of policy. And I'd like to see, you know, nobody ever name a sports club Eskimo again, or Redman, or have a caricature of, you know, a mascot that's indigenous, like this ridiculous, right? So, um, so there's a lot there that as people, as lay people, we actually have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for, right? So if you're, I don't know, you play tennis and you're part of the tennis, like we all see the politics in every one of our sports too, right? In fact, that's what turns us off a lot of sports, <laughs> stupid politics, but that, that's the component that we all need to see ourselves reflected in that. Um, curling clubs, whatever it is that, you know, is kind of the passion of sport that people play, you know, we have to start seeing, okay, how do we indigenize this? How come there aren't land acknowledgements at the start of every single arena, you know, curling club, sport, you know, why isn't there? It's just simple, simple stuff. Um, United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People do have articles directly related to sports. And, um, you know, if average Joe Canadian curler doesn't know about it, then that's the problem, right? 
Um, I mean, how many arenas or rinks have you been in where you see from 1979, the club of the time in a nice picture, right? Like we're not highlighting uh, the indi local indigenous people that played. You know, these are simple, simple things that we can do that we can start seeing ourselves in, in doing this work. So I really appreciate that, Marnie. Is there anything else you'd like to reflect on? Um, I'm, I feel bad I don't remember the man's name, but I was at... Um some report happened it happened at the library um it was the calgary foundation reporting on there and they had a young man there who was a runner and i riley many bears oh my god this kid excuse me that's a sign of my age right he oh my god he talked about running and i i just I am not an athlete, but I just wanted to get out there just listening to him, the energy. And then he said something, this was years ago that I have not always remembered. And he said, somebody said, so what achievement are you most proud of? And he said, I've been sober for, and he named a number of years. So this guy can run faster than anyone on earth. And his proudest achievement is that he's sober. And I think that's, um, that says what sports can do because it helped him as he, and what I remember of his story. And also uh, as a settler, what I need to constantly remember is that there's a whole nother layer to anything, anything that's accomplished by people whom, whose oppression, I, I hate to say these words, but whose oppression I have benefited from. Yeah, no, I appreciate that you do that. Um, so Thank he's one of my, knowing his names. Thank you oh, for knowing his names. he's one of my favorite people. Um, and I'm just going to give you all his Twitter handle because so if you were to Google his name, first and foremost, you would find uh, lots of information about him. He was one of the ambassadors for the Olympics for the 2026 bid. And that's how I actually got to meet him. And that's his Twitter handle on on Twitter. You know, we're older. Some of us are on Twitter all the time, me being one of them. Um, Anyway, uh, because he's from Siksika, he also uh, runs something called uh, the S7 Nation. He gave me a t-shirt actually, and it's basically the youth program of sports for the, for the kids. And um, so Siksika Health is kind of the umbrella for that. And uh, they made a partnership with like the Hitman. So that's like such a good news story to talk about what reconciliation can look like a little more because the Hitman, Calgary Hitman, the WHL team for folks who might be listening across the country, um, you know, they worked with Siksika Nation and Siksika Nation, they're all sports people like Buckbreaker wouldn't quit talking about Montreal Canadiens through the entire um, playoff run on Twitter, right? And I'm just giving him a hard time because I'm a Calgary Flames fan. But, but you know, Theron Fleury, he put out a good book. Uh, Jordan um, Tutu, he put out a good book. I preferred his book more because um, I think he's starting to unpack his trauma today prior to publishing that book, but he's starting to work on understanding the gravity of Indian residential schools today, not when he wrote the book, but at least you can give he honors his brother who um, committed suicide. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I don't like that terminology. Um, who couldn't put up with this racist Canada world anymore. And, you know, hopefully his spirit moved on to a better place because of this, this life that we live here. Um, so I, I hope to honor his, his brother um, the way he tried to in his book as well. So that, that's another book that I recommend. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for that. Uh, video of Riley Many Bears at Olympics.com. Yeah, he's 
uh, and, and it's, I think it's Riley, um, like two E's and uh, really, really nice gentleman. Um, I seen him the other day on July 1st and it was heartwarming to see him. We, were, we had a, a vigil at late at night and he, he was there with his family. So I uh, highly recommend following him as well. We have eight minutes left and I respect everybody's time, especially the, the uh, Calgary Public Library. Um, now, one of the authors, white uh, settler authors who co-authored this, but with Métis people, um, I was the one who actually reached out to me and said, hey, did you know we have this book? I'm like, no, I want to read that book. So I, I bought two of the books and, um, and this is our next month um, book club. I don't believe the Calgary Public Library has it, but obviously I think every um, library in Alberta should have it, contrary to what Jason Kenny thinks. So restoring the history of St. Paul de Métis, understanding the Métis perspectives. And this is really relevant for folks who have had my land acknowledgement teachings. Um, you know, I have three different slides on Métis. I talk about Métis settlements. I talk about the Métis nation. I talk about Maria Campbell's half-breed book. It's really important for every Albertan to understand the history of, you know, the original 12 Métis settlements. And this is one of the originals is uh, St. Paul. And so I, I'm really excited to read this book. Um, the whole point of having this book club is to like take the time to read the stuff I've been wanting to read. So this is like a really exciting month coming up, I think. Um, so and I just wanted to make sure we did that plug beforehand because unfortunately, I, this one isn't like some of our other book clubs where, you know, we found the free PDF <laughs> and we gave it to everybody. This was one I had to order. And I know a lot of folks here do order the books. And I thank you for that. And I apologize for any barriers for folks who are unable to get this book. Um, Restoring the History of St. Paul de Métis. And I'll try to uh, reach out to the one, two, three, four, five, six co-authors and see if uh, maybe one of them can come join us uh, so that we can have a more elaborate discussion and maybe just let them lead the conversation because uh, it could be really interesting. And I just want to also bring up, we haven't talked about it yet, making it for one of these book clubs, but when we're almost at the end of the calls to action and when we are, I think I want to do, it's the smallest book of the TRC, the Métis Experience. And I think I really want to encourage everybody to read that um, that volume of the of uh, the TRC so that we can unpack that. And I, I bring it up because if you're going if you're unpacking this right now, you know it might be interesting for you to unpack that, read a little bit about the Métis settlements as well and the Métis Nation as we go through this. And the Métis Nation Stampede Breakfast is I want to say Saturday. It's barbecue actually, so it's more like twelve till three if you're in Calgary. And I bring that up because um, every so often you'll hear a little tidbit of information and plus you get a free burger and somebody says free burger. I'm down for free burgers every time. So yeah, so we have five minutes left. Um, anybody have any like, uh, oh, we were at Marnie. I apologize, Michelle Wong. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to try to see if your um, audio works, but we'd love to hear from you if you can try. Sorry, my friend. Ah, darn it, eh? At least we tried. At least we tried. Um, who's next? Uh, Sarah Flynn. I know you're not feeling well, but I, I just invite you if you have anything you'd like to add. I just wanted to say um, 
the um, James talked about the government, uh, the, sorry, the platform of professional sports and I'm just graduating from being a mom, a soccer mom. <laughs> My youngest kid is 18 now, but I spent years as a soccer mom and um, that's also a huge platform that um, for settlers taking ownership of uh, reconciliation and I think that's going to have to be how it happens because the government is seriously dragging their feet on it like in a major way so for settlers to take action this is one thing you know every i, I never thought of it i re regret that and i wish i had but th there's so much money and it's all private or, i'm sure there's some government run but there's lots and lots and lots there's a whole layer of across the country it's probably millions of dollars of private sports clubs and instruction and gear and um i coached for for over a decade um and what a platform what a platform i think about my organizing on the environmental activism and i think how we were educated i was educated in large measure by you michelle um educated to be sensitive and be aware and reach out to the indigenous activists who were working on the same thing in the same area and make space for that partnership. And why don't we do that with sports? Why don't we reach out? I'm sure there are indigenous sports teams and clubs and parents who would love to have their kids play soccer or urban and reserve based and just so it comes back to that question of settlers taking ownership of reconciliation, educating ourselves, voting reconciliation, putting our money where our mouth says, if it's good for our kids, it's good for somebody else's kids, maybe. It should be an option. So just one more chance to be fired up about taking ownership of reconciliation. And rightfully so. I mean, we have a, a city council um, election coming up and they're all talking about sports and arena and facilities, but do you ever hear them talk about reconciliation? No. And that's the problem, right? Like what if there was an option on every application for a sports league that, you know, you could donate to an indigenous um, person being on your team? How easy would that be to do? And that be an extra $10, right? Like, come on. They could just so, make it a fee, right? Like so you have to pay 50 extra dollars. That's our indigenous sports fee, our fund. Right, it's it's at least an, an, a possibility. I recognize everybody's time. I'll stay here. I invite Shelly and Susan for any other uh, things that you'd like to add as well. I, I was thinking there's, um, I was thinking along a different line, um, kind of when, the movement of defund the police, where they could take some of that money and proactively put it into sports and reckon, reckon, or, uh, recreational programs. So for indigenous, like inner city youth or on, on um, treaty lands, wherever, so that um, gets kids into um, sports and loving sports and building that self-esteem and building that sense of community and passion so that um, they have that sense of um, ownership in like a clubhouse or, I think that's where I'm going with that one. That sounds that, great. Yeah, like that could be like, I know it's not in the TRC, but like it could, 
it makes sense to take that money um, instead of spending it later on, spend it up front to have people who could use the the, the sports, um, the the they're not all gonna be professional sports players, but could use the uh, experience of sports and the team teamwork. Um, and then I just have one thing, um, what, what James said about uh, Ethan Bear and um, it, and the, uh, the Treaty Seven Nations around Calgary, it's not on them to make lacrosse um, more indigenized, it's on the settlers. Um, they, uh, it's on us to make it more accessible. I, uh, the, I'm not trying to preach or anything, but like Indigenous have been through a lot. And same with, uh, I get it when I, I work with a lot of people within the disability, I work in the disability community and trying to teach people about autism because they have such misconstrued op, uh, ideas of what actually autism is. And it's just, you don't have enough spoons and people are tired and it's on the settlers and it's on the allies to do the work. That's what I'm thinking. I appreciate that, Shelley. I know for me, you know, being able-bodied, I'm trying to respect that everybody has a different capacity when it comes to these, even these Zoom conversations. So I really appreciate your your kindness about that. Thank you. Um, and Susan, do you have any other uh, lasting points that you'd like to make before we end today's session? I just wanted to thank you, Michelle, for uh, organizing this through the library is my first time and I also want to thank all of the people here that are allies and uh, willingly giving of your time and thoughts and sharing all together so that we can really this is reconciliation in action what we're doing today and so thank you so much chef for all of you and for including me thank you Oh, honored and thanks again for all the links that you sent and that we could have this discussion tonight so i i want to say thank you to everyone um Ida, i see you you came on come on in have this come on in i did out. how lucky am i that i got to host this book club uh usually i'm playing on instagram or writing emails catching up on other work i sat and listened the entire time i've opened all the links that were posted and thank you so much for this opportunity to um, listen and learn. And wow, I just, I hope that Katie misses other ones and I can uh, <laughs> for her in the future. Or frankly, just join this book club. So thank you everyone for being um, so uh, involved. Um, Michelle, I it's wonderful that you make the indigenous voice the priority that everyone can listen. Um, because I mean, it's time for, I'm a settler as well. Uh, my parents came here from Poland. I'm first generation Canadian. Um, and sometimes we need to be reminded to sit down and shut up and listen. So um, so thank you, Michelle. Uh, this was absolutely wonderful. On behalf of the library and everyone who attended today, my goodness, how lucky are we to have your time? So uh, thanks everyone. I did post early on in um, today's book club, the link to the August 9th session. Um, Michelle did mention the book. Um, I, sorry, I didn't check quickly if the library has it, but um, Michelle, it sounds like we don't. Um, so hopefully everybody has enough time to get their hands on it and to read it. So again, Michelle, I'll let you close things off, but uh, wow, wonderful book club.
Thank you so much for that feedback and for, for your kind words, Ida, for helping us and, and being part of this. So I appreciate it and I appreciate everybody here being here and don't hesitate to reach out um, you know, between now and then. I hope that you can all get your hands on this book club, but if you don't, I still encourage you to come so that the, those of us who did read it can like, you know, just take all the space and talk about it. And maybe it'd be a good opportunity to read the uh, volume on the Métis for the TRC uh, if you can't get your hands on it in the meantime, and we'll go from there. And again, thanks everybody for coming. Good night, everyone.